In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And now at last you may sit down. <laughs> we have some long readings this Lent, don't we? We meet some really interesting people, and none, I think, more engaging and more interesting than this man that we meet today. At the beginning of Lent, we found Jesus going into the wilderness, there to begin the task of the second Adam, to undo the damage done by the first Adam in a garden. And it's fitting in this um, in this gospel that begins with uh, the genealogies of Jesus, which the church picked up the tradition of giving this gospel the figure of the face because Jesus has come to redeem humans as a human. It's only fitting during Lent that we turn to John's gospel where we get this portrait of all these really interesting humans that Jesus is going to bring into his church. Last week, or two weeks ago, we met Nicodemus, the religious expert who has to learn that without Jesus, his religion is pretty much worthless. Last week, we met the shamed and shunned woman at the well who hasn't been to church in years and who finds in Jesus the one man whose love she can trust. Today, this man born blind who has no idea where this amazing grace has come from, and for the longest time can only confess, all I know is I was blind and now I see, and then comes to learn who is the one who has given him this grace. Next week we go to John chapter 11 where we meet Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, Jesus' friends who find that this friend's love is literally stronger than death. But this week, the man born blind. Bear with me for just a few minutes. There are some smaller mini-theology lessons that we pick up along the way. Who sinned? You know, sometimes it's not about figuring out who's to blame for the mess that we're in, living in a fallen world. Sometimes what's important is simply asking, what does God intend to do with this mess? And then there's the question of this being done on the Sabbath. Well, traditions are time-conditioned, and not being able to make mud on the Sabbath was not, that was not prohibited by Mosaic law. It was a tradition that Jews developed because Jewish tradition associated clay-making with the shame of captivity in Egypt where Israelites had to make more clay with less straw. Remember that? More bricks, less straw. So clay making wasn't something allowed on Sabbath in honor of their forebears having gone through slavery. But you know what? The law of Moses didn't require that. And when it's time to take care of people's needs, traditions can be renegotiated. Now, I'm not bringing that up because I got any traditions I'm going after. I'm just letting you know. And But third... Something that for me is personally very sobering. The story ends with Jesus' rebuke of those who were supposed to see and thought they saw the religious authorities but didn't see at all. Being a religious authority doesn't protect you from spiritual blindness. 
Now, Jesus didn't come to bring judgment, John 3.16, John 3.17, did not come into the world to, to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved. But the fact of the matter is his coming to bring the full light of day into a dark world exposes pretend sources of light. And all of us who undergo theological training, and then especially when we're invested with some level of authority in Christ's church, I mean, when they start slapping names on you like the reverend, or the reverend canon, or the reverend canon doctor, too many of us in this room with, with or how about even the very reverend doctor? Well, people in those positions need urgently to pray that we not confuse the partial light of our training and our own imagination with the full light of Jesus and his word. May we who bear titles like that have the wisdom of Nicodemus to come to him and listen while he does the talking. May we be determined to confess with the psalmist, Lord, in your light, may we see light. And I ask you from the depths of my being and on behalf of my brothers and sisters who are called to lead, please pray for us to that end. For some, the coming of Jesus, the light of the world into the world is like when I was in high school and my father would come get me out of bed and I'd just crawl deeper under the blankets and yell, go away, leave me alone. For others, the coming of Jesus, the light of the world into the world is like my dog who's been in a crate in a dark bedroom. Now, as many of you know, my wife and I, mostly my wife, we, we train service dogs, puppies, uh, who are preparing to be service dogs for people who are wheelchair-bound. And one of the things that, that uh, service dogs need to do is they need to learn to be ignored for long periods of time and to be quiet and to just accept that. So the dogs spend time in a crate, in a dark room, and their job is to be quiet. But I tell you, it's a wonderful thing when you go in the room. Now, the dog that we're, that we're working with now, he's like a two-month-old golden, uh, golden retriever lab mix. His name is Nestle, like Elvis Presley. And he's just, the, he's maybe the cutest dog that we've worked with in the 10 years that we've been, that we've been doing this. It is so cool to go down the hall and to open the door of our dark bedroom and to see in the first place, Nestle has been lying facing the door the whole time, just waiting. And as soon as the light comes on and I'm in, I'm in, the, in, the, in the door, he's jumping up and he's so excited and his eyes are going blinky, blinky because it's been dark, and he's having to adjust to the light. But he's so grateful for the light and for my presence that the light brings. What happens in this passage? Jesus 
the light of the world shows up. And a man who could not see begins to see. You know, the restoration of sight is a specialty of Jesus. It's the, the giving of sight is, is a miracle that is told of Jesus. He, it, we're told about seven different times that Jesus heals blind people. That's the most, that's the most um, often mentioned kind of miracle that Jesus does. The giving of sight is a divine activity. Psalm 146 says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And in particular, it's something that God does through his Messiah. Three times Isaiah says, Messiah, with Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind shall see. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The Messiah comes to open the eyes that are blind. Chapters 29, 35, and 42, check them out. And the early church, the early church evidenced a keen insight and instinct when they looked at this passage of the giving of sight to this blind man. They noticed that Jesus sent him to a pool. And water washed away mud that had been anointed. Actually, the Greek word that Jesus uses, or that John, John uses for the mud getting put on the blind man's eyes is epikrio. Epi is upon, and creo is anoint. Like, the word Christ comes from this. Christos is one who has been anointed. So here is Jesus, and he has anointed this man's eyes with mud, and then the water washes the mud off. A pool, an anointing, and then he can see. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Receive the seal, the mark of the Holy Spirit. Receive the light of Christ. And what is happening in the rest of the story is this man working out the implications of this picture of baptism that had been given to him. And what is really, really fabulous in this story, it takes a while to develop, which is why we stood so long, <laughs> is that the spiritual implications of the physical gift of sight works itself out gradually in him under pressure. This man progressively comes to understand who it is that has graced his life despite or maybe even because of opposition that he faces along the way. It's a profound gift to receive the gift of physical sight. It's hard for me to imagine having grown up not knowing what color is at all. And then just one day, boom, cobalt blue, roseate red, brilliant yellow, orange, orange, verdant green. Oh my goodness, I can scarcely take it in. It's so 
wonderful. It's an even more profound gift John would have us understand to receive spiritual sight, to see the brilliance of color about life on the other side of what we can see with our physical eyes. For this man, the gift of physical sight is instantaneous, but as wonderful as that gift is, the greater gift of spiritual insight comes only over time and through opposition. Listen to how this develops. When he's first given sight, people ask, what happened? And he says, well, a man sent me to this pool. Well, then they bring him to the Pharisees for the first time, and they press him. And now it's not just a man, but he recognizes, well, it's a prophet who did this for me. Well, then they, they try to get his parents in, and his parents say, look, he's old enough to speak for himself. They bring him back to the Pharisees, and they threaten him now with expulsion. And he wonders, oh, it's not possible that he is somebody that you think you should become a disciple of, do you? And in this conversation, he says, you know what? I believe that he is from God. Then he's, he's cast aside, pushed out, and that's when Jesus, who's been off stage for most of this story, Jesus comes back on stage. And when Jesus comes to him at the end of the story, Jesus reveals to him just who it is, who has been the bestower of this amazing grace. And the man confesses, you're the son of God. I believe in you. I worship you. And I honor you. What's happened to the man is not unlike something else that happens in dog training. When you teach a dog something, you just pattern him or her. Pretend it's a him. Pretend it's a him. You want him to sit. And he has to learn to sit and stay. Sit and stay no matter what else happens. So you, you teach them to sit. You put food up near their nose, and you kind of put their, make them put their nose up. And you know what happens when the nose goes up? Their bottom goes down. And you feed them. And you release them. And then you do it again. You put the food up a little above their nose. They sit down, feed them, good dog. You do that over and over and over again, and they get the idea that when you tell them to sit, they sit. And then you say, sit and stay. And then you go and you stand across from them and you just sort of stand there. And then you come back and you release them. And you do it again. Sit, stay, stand there and watch. And then you go and release them. And then once you feel like they've really got it, well then you say sit, stay, and then you start bouncing balls in front of them and throwing toys that they love around the place and just you watch them quiver at first. And, and then... Over time, they get the idea, sit, I stay. There might be a distraction, but eventually I'm going to get released and I'm going to get a really nice treat. And then when you want to make sure you've really got it, then you put a leash on them and you say, sit, stay, and you go, you go away from them and you give 
a gentle tug on the leash as though you wanted them to break, but they go, no, 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 I know it's a trick. I'm going to sit right here. And you go, good dog, good dog. And they're just bound to, I know you're going to trick me, but the only way that, but I know, yeah, no, I'm not going anywhere. And you, good dog. It's progressive. It's building insight. That is what is happening to this man. And I'll bet you it's what's happening to a lot of us in the room. The Lord has taught us the beginning of faith. And then he's put in, us in situations where the faith gets challenged. And the heat gets turned up. And the heat gets turned up. And he only lets the heat get turned up because he knows that you're ready for the next lesson in your progressive faith. I, I don't know what some of you are dealing with right now. For some, it's financial challenges, relational disappointment, frustration with a sin you just didn't trying to get rid of as long as you can remember, but it just keeps coming back and taking you down. An addiction or an obsession, a crippling fear of failure, a succumbing to that, <laughs> a, a succumbing to that, uh, it's daylight again? No, I'm just getting back under the covers. A feeling of spiritual emptiness, calling and calling, but sensing no one picking up on the other end. Whatever it is, may you hold on to one thought. If you have been to that pool, if you have received that anointing, if that candle has put in, been put into your hand, receive the light of Christ. Stay there. Hold on to it. Acknowledge the one who is the light of the world for you. He won't leave you alone. But to help you remember that, come be with us Saturday night before Easter. And let's be around that baptismal pool together. And let's renew our vows before God and one another that we all may be encouraged to stay there, to let the wonder of our baptism get worked out with greater and greater faith, knowing that a God who loves us and has good intent for our future is simply working that good future out. And if you have never been to that pool if you've never known the cleansing of your sin, if you've never known the enlightenment of your eyes, if you've never seen the light of Jesus Christ as your light, let's talk and let's get you to that pool. For all of us who belong to Jesus Christ, hear again what Paul said to the Ephesians. Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light in the confidence that Christ 
will shine on you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.